This is your host, Rachel Franklin with Already Dead, a sexual assault discussion podcast. A quick PSA, as I just mentioned, we will be discussing topics surrounding sexual assault, so if you feel like you need a break at any time from listening, please take one. This is a space for healing, for learning, and for creating community. He didn't make me feel like I wanted to die, he just made me feel like I was already dead. Today I have with me Ella Farron O'Neill, the co-founder of Safe Bay, a nonprofit focused on ending teenage sexual assault and harassment. She's the co-founder of Ask First, an underwear line that encourages asking for consent with its designs, and the director of the film Saving Daisy. She's also a survivor herself. So Ella, please tell me a little bit more about yourself. How did you get started with everything that you're doing? Really, it all started after I had been assaulted back in 2011. Um, I was assaulted by two boys from my high school, and um, I was 14 years old at the time. I kind of went through what I think a lot of people can relate to, the whole, you know, trying to almost deny what you went through so you don't have to acknowledge the fact that you are a, Mm -hmm. you know, a victim of, a crime and oh that's kind of getting really detailed into my story um let me backtrack yeah sure whatever you're comfortable with okay so I was assaulted at 14 years old by two boys from my high school um I went public with my case and you know started speaking out about what happened to me and this was back in like this happened back in 2011. So this was like back before the whole Me Too movement. It was a time where people did not believe survivors when they came forward. And I was so sick of seeing, you know, people kind of disregard what happened to me and acting like it's fine and just boys will be boys. I really wanted to take a stand and like let people know that this isn't okay. So I got really outspoken and aggressive in my high school. I started my own nonprofit called Butterfly, which was, which stood for be understood, uh, traumatized teens, empowering rape victims, love yourself. Like the longest acronym ever. Love it. Um, But it was like my little baby at the time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it really helped me cope with what I was going through. So I started that. I got, a lot of recognition in my community like a lot of kids were either rallying behind me or you know or not and it really spoke a lot to like you know what people's perception was of rape culture at the time Mm -hmm. um because I think now it's a lot different so after I came forward with my story I was approached by the Netflix documentary crew that put together the documentary Audrey and Daisy um, because, you know, my story closely was similar to Daisy Coleman's story, Audrey Pott's story, Mm -hmm. Jada, Jada's story, uh, everybody that you see featured in the documentary. And they brought me together with the other three survivors that you see in the film. And I feel like when we met, it just, it's a sisterhood like no other. Like, you know, we understood each other. We, we knew what we were going through and we could all relate to each other. So 
we all came together and decided that we wanted to start our own nonprofit together. And that's where Safe Bay was born. So Safe, before anyone else, we started this organization together with um, Daisy's brother, Charlie, and um, our executive director, Shale Norris, who has really become like a second mom to us. Mm-hmm. And it's been go, go, go ever since. I've, I have to say, I've, I didn't expect my life to turn out this way, but I've really dedicated a lot of my time to sexual assault prevention work since I was like a young person. Mm-hmm. Definitely something that makes you more passionate about the subject after that happens to you. Um, yeah, it definitely. Uh, we talk about this all the time, how it's just kind of a lifelong healing journey. And I just mm-hmm. feel like, doing this work has really helped me cope in a lot of ways. Yes, I understand that. How, how, what would you have done, do you think, if this had not happened to you? What other path did you want to go down? Um, oh, my God. Well, I have a few different paths. Like, uh, initially, like, as a child, like, I was really into, like, directing movies, writing stories stories I was really into like you know making music videos to like songs I was like a really happy-go-lucky kid Mm -hmm. with like I was super innocent um I think any of my friends who who have known me since I was like a child can attest to that so I do think I've always had a I've always been a creative always like craft music like I said so I don't know, like, what, what makes me, what, what I think about sometimes is, like, I don't want this to sound weird, but, like, I wonder if I would even care about this issue if it hadn't have happened to me. Because, like, Mm -hmm. growing up, you never think that something like that's going to happen to you. And you don't truly understand it until you go through it yourself. I genuinely believe that. Yeah. Um. And that's why I think, like, you still see, like, there's still some women out there that, like, especially the older generation of women, like, they can't get behind this new wave of, of you know, sexual assault prevention. They can't get past the whole, it doesn't matter what she was wearing, it doesn't matter what she was drinking. Like, there are still women out there that believe that that does actually have something to do with it. You know what I mean? Right. And or, or it's either that or some people don't think it's as serious as it is, you know? Mm-hmm. It's frustrating. So I just, I wonder if I would even have, like, a philanthropic side to me if this hadn't have happened to me. It's, it's right. interesting to think about. Yeah, I've always been interested in, like, journalism, but I wanted to start this podcast after I had been sexually assaulted. Like, it just completely changed what I was passionate about within what I was already interested in. Yeah. Right. It's that's so, that's such a good point. Yeah. Cause to add on to that, like I, like I said, I was, I was such a creative before, but I do feel like after I went through this trauma, like it's really shaped what you, how I express myself creatively. Mm -hmm. And I, and I do think it's like a beautiful thing. Um, So I reached out to you after I found ask first TikTok page but I actually think you might have come to my high school with Safe Bay a few years ago. 
Um, do you remember coming to Calabasas High School? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, you're bringing up something that, like, haunts me to this day. Oh, goody. Yeah, I, I remember two very specific things from that day. Um, one was a video you guys presented, and in the video, I remember there was examples of asking for consent, and one of them was in a scene at a party, and a boy asked permission to kiss a girl. Um, I don't even think I'd had my first kiss at that point. <laughs> and it was... Oh, yeah. were you, like, a freshman at the time? I, I think so. I think so. Um, God, that was long ago, huh? Yeah. That was five or five or six years ago now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't even think I had my first kiss, and I thought, like what a weird thing to ask for a consent for a kiss. But then looking at that situation now, like I still remember that. And I was thinking that can be really relaxing and reassuring when someone asks for something so small. Um, right. Why do you think that's important? Well, I think that like, I think the other side to that is like, I've seen, you know, a lot of, situations like out at parties at bars where I don't want to like gender this but like where someone is you know just starts like macking on someone who's like either really drunk Mm -hmm. or like and that I I feel like after what I've been through like that really is triggering to see and also like people don't realize that that's just like not cool to do and I think it goes back to, like, when we're talking to high school students, like you said, like, you guys were young. Like, you're not even necessarily, like, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody's at different, like, stages of where they are with their sexuality, their intimacy. And consent isn't always inherently sexual. So I think, like, our approach with our videos, like, I mean, yeah, sometimes they're they're supposed to be a little cheese ball. It's, like, the point. Um, (laughs) But... I think, like, when we're talking to high school students, we have to go about it in a way that they're going to, that's going to match what level they're on. So, right. I think, like, making sure that you ask for consent, even if it is for, like, a kiss or a hug in certain situations, like, mm-hmm. you should be aware of that. I don't think people should just be going around, like, I mean, obviously there's, you know, it's just understanding it's reading the room like yeah and and i think it's better to have that thought in the back of your head and learn about it than to not talk about it at all yes i definitely would agree god that was such a nightmare what are the odds that you were there (laughs) for that because i still talked about i've presented to like hundreds of schools yeah and i've been in some pretty like shitty situations where people are like you know not receptive usually it's older people but this was the first time that it was like high school students but looking back like I I it's tough with that age because Mm -hmm. there there's still that huge level of immaturity so yeah I the other thing I remember from that day was that we were being very rude (laughs) oh my god I was like so shocked me too honestly um, yeah, I remember our pre- our principal had to, like, quiet us down, like, five times, and half the gym was probably filled with kids, like, me that had never had their first kiss, but also, like, so that re- presentation didn't seem super relevant, 
in our lives at that point. But there's also a lot of high schoolers that are sexually active and there's a lot of teenagers that go through awful experiences like you did. And um, well, I remember the reason they brought us out there in the first in the first place was because there was a girl who had been sexually assaulted. I don't think she was there that day, but like they specifically brought us out for this particular case that was going on. I didn't even know that. Yeah. So I remember like people making jokes. Like I think about this particular situation that was known around the school, probably with the older grades. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I remember specifically people coming, uh, there was a group of at least like 30 kids that came up to me crying, like bawling after the presentation. Oh, wow. Um, being like, I can't believe, like, people aren't taking this seriously. Like, it's just so scary to think, like, you know, that there's people in here that, that don't get it. And, like, I remember having to sit with this group of kids for, like, an hour after the presentation, like, you know, just talking with them and yeah. thinking of ways that we could, you know, get people more involved in their school. But... I think that was, like, a pretty traumatizing day for, like, everybody involved. Yeah. That was... I very, very much remember that being the most disrespectful moment I'd ever had, like, in any kind of presentation that we'd had at high school. I think that was the worst on our part. Um, yeah. I feel like... I think, like a, like, a couple parents, like, reached out to us afterwards and was like, that speaker was rude. She was like... She was like pointing out people in the presentation and my executive director was like, you can literally fuck off. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> we were so pissed. Yeah, I but bet. Yeah, that was an experience for sure. I try to forget about that experience. <laughs> um, okay, working with high schoolers can be pretty tough. What has your experience been with that and uh, what makes working with teenagers, even if sometimes half of them are being disrespectful, worth it? Um... So, yeah, like I've said, I've worked with, like, a lot of high school students. I honestly have had nothing but good experiences, except for that, except for Calabasas High School. <laughs> um, that was really, truly the only time I've ever seen such a, um, like, personally, like, like uh, been present for it actually happening. That's, like, the only time that's ever happened to me but like obviously I think the hardest thing with working with high school students is that they the lack of support from high school administration that's usually where where we get roadblocks like Mm -hmm. I think for the most part most high school students around the country they want to talk about this issue Mm -hmm. because they're experiencing it they're experiencing it it's happening to them um and survivors are coming forward way more often and you see such a lack of support um or accountability from high school administrations like this past year there were hundreds of protests all over the country like and i and i cut a bunch of footage from them and i i interviewed at least 10 um students from all different states Mm -hmm. uh talking to me about like different situations that were going on in their high schools and um I just think it's really disappointing how like I mean it's disappointing but also it gives me hope because it's amazing to see the younger generations stand up and and be like you know hold these 
the older generation accountable right. and hold their administrations accountable and being like, yo, this is happening to us. Like, you need to do something about it. Like, I, that, you, that's just something you didn't see, like, mm-hmm. a lot of 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and so I think high school kids are honestly way more are more badass than people give them credit for. Like they, they're demanding to be heard. Um, and I think it's awesome. Like that's, I only want to see more of that until, you know, administrations actually start doing shit about what's happening. Cause they're not like title nine is in place, but a lot of time these schools are not abiding by title nine and you don't see that covered really in the news or anything. Yeah. Um, what is, Obviously, you said, um, like, administration's not doing enough with the culture surrounding rape and sexual assault um, that you've experienced, but how do you even begin to go about changing that? Um, I think it really starts with, you know, starting a conversation around the issue. I think, like, the more people are actively talking about the want and need for consent education, you know, bystander intervention education, how to support a survivor, learning about, like, really what consent is, Mm -hmm. um, is the very first start. And then I think, like, what these kids are doing all over the country, like, starting these protests, like, if they're not going to listen, like, we need to take a stand. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we need to do these, like, school walkouts and let them know that, like, we're not going to just lay down so that you can sweep this under the rug and protect your perfect reputation. Like I Mm -hmm. see that's what a lot of students deal with. Um, Yeah. I know I dealt, I dealt with that back 10 years ago. Like they're not going to come for the, the football player. They're not going to, it's more about protecting, you know, sometimes it feels like it's more about protecting the boys than it is Mm -hmm. the girls. Um, but I also think that like starting safe bait does a lot of like, um, really cool stuff that not, no other organization does. Like you can get certified and consent education through safe bay. Like, I think like seeing more, you know, teachers and like, um, mentors counselors like stuff like that Mm -hmm. people like that educating themselves i think education is is the very start yeah obviously um and then after education comes the action right um do you run the instagram for safe i um i'm the media director so i um I don't like handle every single post, but mm-hmm. like I, um, I direct. Okay. I've been looking at the Instagram, um, and love the posts, but, uh, there was one about believing survivors. It read, believe survivors until it's your favorite actor, until it's something you don't want to hear, until it's inconvenient for you. Believe survivors until you choose not to. Um, a lot of people want to see the best in people and they want to believe that. They haven't been deceived by someone's outward actions. Um, They want to believe that people can't commit such heinous acts. Um, 
you had even mentioned earlier about how as a victim yourself, you didn't want to believe that that had happened to you. I've, I've experienced that as well. Um, how do you, right. how should you combat that mindset? Um, I think the day that I really, um, the day that I really came to terms with what had happened to me was the day that I actually started to heal. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I went like, I went like six months without telling my parents and it was like a quick spiral. Like I like, it had happened to me. Um, I like was performing a lot of self harm, like visibly, like visible cries for help, like right. was completely addicted to, dr to drugs or got, got further addicted to drugs after that had happened. Um, and was just acting out in all sorts of ways to where my parents didn't know exactly what happened, but they knew that something was seriously wrong with me to where we packed up all of our stuff in like literally a week and moved back to California, which is where I grew up. Oh wow. uh, Yeah. I was, I was assaulted in a small town in, in um, Texas and we had only lived there for literally like four months and we were already back like, wow a couple like two literally like two months after it happened we we like packed up all our stuff and drove back to california we didn't even have a house yet or anything wow. like we just had to get out of there um because it was just so bad like they they wouldn't leave me alone at school like it was a whole thing oh, wow. um so i didn't want to tell my parents and i was just holding this in trying to like convince myself that like what had happened wasn't that bad like mm -hmm. it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't snuck out that night like all of these things like burying it deep deep down until um they finally were like okay we're gonna get you into therapy maybe you just need to talk to someone like they thought like maybe I was just a little bit of an angsty teen my parents are um on the more conservative side like I ne they never really talked to me about like like sex or anything like that. Like they mm -hmm. definitely didn't think that I was doing anything or being around boys at 14 years old. Like they, that yeah. definitely did not cross their mind. Um, so then I, um, they put me into therapy. Uh, I'm like denying the therapist. She's like trying to get this out of me. I'm like lying through my teeth, <laughs> like saying all this other stuff. Um, and finally, she's like, you know, she's convincing me, like, she's like, you know, like, whatever you say to me, like, it's confidential, like, you could tell me anything, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, like, fine. Okay, like, this happened to me, but like, X, Y, Z, blah, 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 trying to kind of like, yeah, you know, like, make it seem like it wasn't that bad. She literally, she goes, okay, one second. She walks out. She brings my parents in. Oh, God. And this was, like, the worst experience I've literally ever had. It turned me off to therapy so much. Yeah. Um, she brings in my parents and basically tells my parents in front of me. And it was, like, World War Five. Like, oh. it was a disaster. Like, my parents immediately went into, like, how would this happen? Like, why were you out, like, all of these things, oh right? My God. That is so um, traumatic. So traumatic. 
And like, it was literally terrible. Um, And it made everything so much harder, I feel like, Mm -hmm. after that. But then, but then that was temporary. My parents really did get their shit together and like, did everything they could to get me the right type of healing. Like they, they were very supportive. Uh, They really like, they never try to like make me talk about it to them mm-hmm. ever really. Um, they just were very supportive. Um, but where I was going with that is I feel like, although I hated how that happened, yeah. <laughs> um, I do feel like it was the first day of like really starting to heal like, my inner child like right who I was before the assault like I started to sort of like actually grieve who I was before and learn who who I was now um and it was such god it was such a long process I feel like like I'm still healing to this day like it's not something that you just you know wake up one day and you feel better I have to stay like um, doing like EMDR therapy was probably like my saving grace. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think people talk about enough how hard, how hard it is to actually heal. Right. Um, and I mean, it's exhausting to even think about. It was, I don't want to turn people off off to this obviously but i do think we need to normalize the fact that like healing is a, it, it is a long journey it's a forever journey yes. but it's the most worth it you know i like to say um something i like really learned was healing's not linear um right it goes comes and you have to deal with it as it comes but uh it's definitely it takes a lot out of you to heal and to be able to address what actually happened and look at that part of yourself and look at what happened to you but as much as it hurts it does heal and it does get yeah better. it's like ripping the band-aid off right you know it like stings at first but then you know then it, it starts to it heal feels better afterwards after right it's all i think that's really important i'm so sorry you had such a awful experience with therapy like that um, I know, right? Like, what the hell? What's wrong is, with that lady? That, I have to have a word with her now. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't know if she's allowed to do that. Um, I, yeah, I feel like that was like not legal at all. But like, you know, at the end of the day, I I've come to be. I just try to be grateful now for like everything that's sort of happened because it's led me to where I am now in life, and yeah. like I'm just so happy where I am in life. Like, I still have my bad days, but like. I just feel like I've been really like blessed in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. That's good. To, that's good to hear. Um, yeah, that's very traumatic. Uh, yeah, I didn't tell my parents. I told my mom a few months later, but I didn't tell my dad until like maybe a month ago, kind of thing. Like that. That's, yeah, it should be at your own pace. Um, I'm sorry that was forced oh, on you. Sure. No, that's like. Oh, that's. I feel like that's like a lot of like so many people have that same experience also like they it's like with talking to the dad about it like it's 
yeah, I don't exceptionally know why. harder than talking to the mom about it. Like, I, I don't know why that is, but it, I would agree. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. I mean, like, my dad has always been very supportive, but, like, it is not something that my dad and I talk about. Like, I don't, like, just talk to my dad about that at all. Yeah. <laughs> Never. I, I'm not really sure why that was so difficult for me personally, but, like, I don't know. I just don't talk to my dad about sex or anything like that my dad's like i just don't want to know just like you know like drinking anything like he's just like just don't tell me i also feel like it's that generation though too like they they i do feel like they have like a bit of a sweep it under the rug mentality because they grew up with like you know Mm -hmm. like you know what i mean like i just feel like like, I know my mom has shared experiences with me where I'm like, so you were you were also sexually assaulted, like, as a young person. Mm-hmm. And she'll be like, well, no, like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it goes back to that whole, like, um, downplaying yeah. certain, like, sexual assaults because you are in denial of either being, like, a perpetrator or a victim. Like, I feel like yeah. that generation especially probably recounts things that, like, you know... You know what I mean? Yeah, I I do. Like you get what I'm saying. Uh, yes, the that that was a really important point you just made about like downplaying it as a victim and as a perpetrator. Um, I've definitely had like, had that happen to me I on both feel, ends. I feel like that's a bigger conversation that actually would be so helpful to have with like the older generation. Like, I'm talking like you know the people that were born in like the 60s 70s like like and talk to them because I'm sure they probably like did something okay this is the other thing that is so important about this conversation is that there are people going around sexually assaulting people without knowing that they're sexually assaulting people because they don't understand genuine consent exactly that's so true it's, and I think that's the problem. I think that's why a lot of people either don't want to talk about this or they obviously downplay certain situations because they're like, right. damn, I might have, I might have like, you know, I might have like done something kind of sus back in the day. But that, but that was normal back then. That's not, a, yeah. It's, it doesn't mean it's okay, but right. like, are you just not going to act like that was not normal? Like, all throughout almost all of history yeah until like recently like that's i it's honestly talk about it's honestly like a lot of people don't realize that like the people close to you um are often the ones harassing you um and unintentionally sometimes but that doesn't excuse what they did still yeah, no, exactly. And I think that's like, you know, an- another part of it, too, is that people still have, and I see this a lot on TikTok. I, I mean, I think TikTok made me realize it more than anything, mm-hmm. that um, people still have this internalized belief that, like, the only real type of rape that occurs is someone who's waiting to sexually assault you in the back of an alley. Yes, yes, absolutely. And- yeah, that's just not, uh, while that does happen, it's a very extremely small statistic of sexual assaults that happen. Like, right. people genuinely don't know that. I, I remember my ex-boyfriend was like, 
oh, I didn't even realize like that stuff actually still happens. I was like, yeah. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I had one person tell me like a story about like similar to what you were just saying, like behind an alley kind of thing. And I was explaining what had happened to me. And he was like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't realize that stuff still happens. I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I remember, like, no, it's honestly, like, as much as I think we're making good progress, there's so much work to be done. Like, mm-hmm. even my husband was talking to me about, like, at his old high school, uh, another case, like, resurfaced of this, like, teacher who's like has a reputation of like being inappropriate to the girls in his class and like um one of the girls like came forward about him like sexually assaulting her and the entire school like turned against her like they wore shorts they wore shirts to school that said like free whatever the guy's name is I don't remember they like Mm -hmm. flashed her tires and he like he was like talking to me about this like a couple weeks ago he was like I literally cannot believe that like people still have people still defend like these rapists just because because they know them like yeah or what like it still happens you never want to believe that someone did something like that but it happens and you don't want to believe that that happened to someone else but it, it happens so yeah i just can't believe that like kids are still having this mentality though of like yeah their first thought is to like defend you know yeah the perpetrator like they don't even think for a second like i actually i heard something um i used to be on the paper at calabasas and so i was reading um one of their articles recently they actually had a a walkout a few weeks ago um against the administration at calabasas Mm mm-hmm well finally i know right (laughs) honestly that's that's awesome like i'm honestly back to that i'm shocked that they even had us present like that's actually like to think back on that like whatever it was like five years ago that's actually like pretty shocking that they even had us speak at the school yeah i had no clue that had happened um yeah, I wish I remembered the girl's name because I went to breakfast with her mom. Oh, wow. Her mom was, like, really struggling. Um, yeah. And all of her, like, friends were rallying around her, obviously. But it was, like like I said, it was only, like, 30 people that really understood what was going on at the end of the day, at the end of that presentation. That's so... I, I remember, like, that was scary. Like, just listening to the people around me, just, like, not paying attention. And I was like, wow. that That's yeah. scary. <laughs> Yeah, it's tough. It's tough out there. <laughs> um, you had mentioned EMDR therapy. Uh, I heard about that in a TED Talk one time and didn't think anything of it again. But uh, I was recently like starting this podcast and I was like, that would probably be really good for people who have dealt with sexual assault. And you were saying that you, um, you went through EMDR therapy. What is that like? I did. Um... I did it for multiple years. Um, It was, like, revolutionary, to be quite honest. Like, I didn't feel like talk therapy was really doing anything for me. Like, I could talk till I was blue in the face about, you know, what happened to me. But Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like it was really changing how I was reacting to certain triggers. And I was triggered so easily I mean, you think about, like, you think about 
like what you go through in high school as like a, a normal person, mm-hmm. all of the stuff that comes with it, Dra- girl drama, boys, boyfriends, like all of that stuff. And then you add an extremely traumatic event to it and everything is like 20 times, feels 20 times worse. Yeah. Like everything felt like the end of the world to me. Like I just felt so out of control of my body. Like I felt like every day I woke up and like just absolutely hated myself. And I just felt like I couldn't control that. Like it was just always going to be like that. So when I started EMDR, um, it's much like peeling back the layers of an onion. Like you don't realize how certain traumas that you go through in your life, they compile Mm -hmm. and they contribute to how you act and respond to other triggers that happen in your life. So um, I felt like when I was going through EMDR, I've never cried harder in my life. I've never been more vulnerable than I would be in an EMDR session. Um, But, you know, the feeling after you just, like, have such a good, like, deep cry. Yeah. Like, I would leave every session feeling like another weight was just getting lifted off my shoulders. Like, I felt like I was covered in bricks and I was drowning. And after every session, it felt like someone was just picking up some of the bricks and I, and it was easier to breathe. It was easier to move. It was just easier to mm-hmm. be in my body, like be in my head, if that makes sense. Yeah. How did, um, how did you even get started in, with the MDR therapy? So I was, rec- it was recommended to me by my therapist. The one that? She's a psychologist and a therapist um and yeah this was back like I said like almost 10 years ago so it was really new especially like for just like other types of traumas because it started out being used for like military deaths right um but obviously they've found that it's a very effective therapy and it was actually the therapy that Daisy had been doing for the two and a half years leading up to her passing. I heard about that. I'm very sorry about that, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's still tough, Yeah, but you know, you just gotta keep moving forward. You two were friends from, how'd you meet again? The, the, uh, yeah, we film? met filming Audrey and Daisy. Gotcha. Um, she seemed like a very powerful soul. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about your guys' friendship, if you're comfortable with that. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I love, I love talking about her. I, I have, I think about her, like, every day. Mm-hmm. Like, she just, you know, when you just, like, meet someone and you just know that you vibe and you're going to be good friends. Yeah. I I felt that with her when I first met her. Like, aside from what we went through and what I went through wasn't even close really to what she went through or has been through in her life. Like, not to compare traumas, but, like, mm-hmm. when we talk about, like, a strong human being, like, I have to say she is, like, the strongest person I've ever met. Like, I 
I was just so in awe of her. Aside from that, though, like, we had so much other stuff in common. Like, we really liked the same music. Mm-hmm. Um, we both, like, we both, like, loved tattoos. We both knew we wanted to have, like, full sleeves. We both um, liked the same type of movies. Like, mm-hmm. she wanted to, like, we just had a lot in common. Um, and, yeah, I just feel like, our our friendship just got stronger and stronger as we you know like started safe and then we were traveling quite a bit uh, like every month to different states like doing screenings of the film and like we would always get like closer and closer because we'd room together and Mm -hmm. like we just like shared all these memories of like cool stuff and um and it was just such a different friendship than what I have with like my childhood long friends because again they just don't understand really what I went through and like it's just a different bond um but yeah I I think after it was really after Tristan passed away her youngest brother Mm -hmm. that I wanted to like I didn't want to just say I was going to be there for her like I really wanted to like show up and like do something because I knew that like if we didn't get her into some sort of therapy or treatment that like she would probably that she would take her life for sure because she had already tried to do that a year prior to this happening Mm -hmm. she had had another attempt even after the film came out that's what a lot of people don't understand and that's what that's really what the Saving Daisy documentary was you know supposed to highlight I also saw about that are you still working on that or so um I I'm working on aside from the documentary her and I had been writing a feature-length film based on her life um and you know she was she had all of these big things that she wanted she wanted people to know Mm-hmm. through her life story um and like we had a we had a writer and so I think that at where I'm at now I don't possibly know how to finish the documentary I I can't even look at the footage like it's like I just don't know how I how I will do that what I think I will do is I really want to finish the feature film script mm-hmm. and get it produced and do like a the short documentary like either in the end credits got it or something um to like show more footage of her but as far as the storyline went for the documentary like it was supposed to like document her healing journey and I think that obviously COVID had a lot to do with her passing Mm -hmm. um and just circumstances. I mean, losing her, it's just like, how how are you going to finish that? I, I'm not, yeah. I don't know how to do it. All the all my mentors in the industry are like, I don't know how you're going to do that. Yeah. So. I think projects like that can be very healing, but also very re-traumatizing. Yeah, it also just feels too soon to me to, yeah. like, work on that. Like, I know so many people ask me, and, like, I completely understand it, like, they want to see it and like all of this stuff but I'm like 
Yeah. I'm not going to put something out that isn't going to honor her in the best way possible. Like when I release something in her honor, it's going to be what I feel is best work is uh, worthy enough to do that. Absolutely. So this conversation is by no means ending right now. We have a lot more to talk about. But for the sake of time, I will be including that in another episode. So stick around till next time for the rest of my conversation with Ella Farron O'Neill. Alrighty, everyone. This is your host, Rachel Franklin. Thank you for listening to this episode of Already Dad, a sexual assault discussion podcast. I hope you were able to take away something positive from our conversation today. Wishing you all the best. See you next time with another episode of Already Dead.